Welcome back to another edition of our Acacia Covered podcast brought to you by CapFed True Blue, our partner here at Acacia Covered. And we haven't been with you in a couple weeks, but we are back uh, to wrap up the fall season. Uh, it was state championship football. It seems like an eternity ago now, uh, simply because the weather's good and we haven't had to deal with uh, all that mess that we had to deal with on state championship day. But it, it's been over a week and a half now uh, since the completion of the state championship games and and it was a, a crazy and wild, uh, wild state weekend. Uh, most of us had to battle the elements. Some of us got a sunburn. Um, you know, it was uh, it was quite a day on state championship football day. Uh, not the ideal conditions for playing a state championship football game, but yet at the same time, sure made for some fun, fun football championships. Some great photography uh, coming out from each of the sites that had to deal with the snow and and all that, but uh, we will go down each of the state championship games, uh, recap a little bit, talk about our state champions this year in each class. Uh, real quick, those state champions are in Class 6A, Gardner-Edgerton, in Class 5A, Mill Valley, Class 4A is St. Thomas Aquinas, Class 3A is Cheney, Class 2A, Nemaha Central, Class 1A, Conway Springs, 8-player Division One is Linden, 8-player Division Two Axtell, and sixth player is Shy Lin. We got several undefeated champions, a few first-time champions, a few repeat champions. So we kind of had a, a mixture of it all. And guys, uh, just before we dive into each class, uh, you know, what were just some of your impressions from uh, state championship weekend and and getting to and from your your site? Uh, I know I uh, had a little adventure on my way home. Uh, thought I was going to see a, a ditch on I seventy, but managed to. Uh, Managed to keep the car from going all the way into it and, and pulled back onto the highway. But uh, how was your guys' trips? Obviously, Scott, yours was nothing but uh, rainbows and roses over at uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, maybe I need to sit this one out before you guys get all mad at me. I don't know. I, I kept driving from Wichita to Pittsburgh, and, and the sun kept coming out a little more and a little more each each uh, each mile that I moved along on that drive. And, and uh, by the time I got to to uh, Pittsburgh, it was it was darn near uh, Chamber of Commerce weather. It was sunny and, and forty five degrees. So I don't know what all the fuss is about uh, uh, with the rest of the state, but uh, now it was the, the travel the travel back was certainly a challenge. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe with Mill Valley, you know, winning another title then in five A. Maybe Joel Appleby controls the weather too. I don't. It, it was just a it was a perfect day down at Carney Smith Stadium. Uh, a little crisp, but. Uh, uh, there wasn't a snowflake inside all day down there, so I I got away with one for sure. A little crisp. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Uh, Mac, you uh, you had to go to Emporia for Class Six A, and and we you know Ricky and Newton, we were all kind of in that little swath that uh, that w- the weather cut up right along the uh, you know the Wichita, and then those. Those interstate corridors, 135 going to Salina, and then uh, I-35 obviously going up through Emporia, and we all we all caught the brunt. Mac, you had it there in Emporia, and Ricky, uh, you got double dose of it down in Newton. Yeah, it didn't really start picking up. It didn't really start picking up to the to the game started, um, but once it start, once the game started, it it was just yeah, constant snow throughout. Um, yeah, the. Trip de- the trip to Newton wasn't so bad, and I didn't even try to attempt to, to make the trip back to Hayes. I just stayed in in Newton on Saturday night. But yeah, it was it did make for some uh, some pretty cool pictures, uh, and I'll be excited to put those galleries out soon because it was a, it was a pretty cool looking scene there in Newton for both those games. 
Yeah, when I left the Emporia Stadium, Google Maps told me it was going to be an hour and 20 minutes, I think, to get home. And I knew that was a lie uh, as soon as I saw it. And then uh, I think it maybe took me 30 minutes to get across Emporia to the Casey's that I like to frequent and uh, get me some food on the way out. And I I definitely thought about uh, doing what Ricky did. I was about to uh, hit up Jeremy and ask him if I could get a hotel room because I didn't think it was going to be very fun. And uh, it it, it was probably uh, for that hour, uh, it said, the first 40 minutes to drive uh took probably an hour and a half uh and then there was just a moment it was you know it was just like uh i don't know maybe compared to like the wizard of oz and you're just going to a new land all of a sudden uh just there at some point it went from being the worst terrain i've ever seen and then thought i was gonna die and then uh, a second later uh, i'm like oh this everything's perfect i'm heading back to lawrence and uh, it not, not quite as nice as Scott down there in, in Pittsburgh, but, uh, the weather got pretty good pretty quickly. So, uh, not, not too shabby. And I guess if, uh, you have to trade, uh, you know, the level of PTSD and, and, and really, uh, high anxiety, uh, heading home for the, uh, snow picks we got, uh, I think it was worth it. I, I I'd be willing to make the <laughs> trade, so I'll keep with it. I, I think it wasn't well, too bad. Yeah, and, and your PTSD, I'm sure, was uh, was heightened considerably yeah. given your given your experiences yeah. on the on the uh, turnpike. Uh. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, if anybody could have argued for uh, maybe taking a hotel room, I think I think it would have been you, Mac, and I think Jeremy would have uh, would have put you up at uh, the closest thing to the Hyatt down in Emporia as it has. Which I'm not sure what that might be. I think it's, it's just the Casey's. I think I just stay at the Casey's and sleep in the car. There you go. There you go. Uh, if only it was a QT and you could have had some of those gr- rollers, the, the all the all the food on the QT rollers there. But uh, but we'll stick with you, Mac, because uh, you were at 6A, and that'll kick off our state football uh, championship game conversation. And uh, you know, a great game. We had two really good teams get there in Derby and Gardner Edgerton, and uh, kind of a, a dichotomy there. You know, Derby, the traditional established power in Class 6A, they're the team that c- consistently wins titles year after year after year. And then Gardner Edgerton, a team looking for its first state championship, and and you got the a great battle just as we expected. Yeah, and I, I think you know going in, particularly as you're uh, accounting for the elements, I think you know the first thing I thought was this is a Gardner Edgerton team that although uh, you know a little bit more of a, a high-flying offense this year compared to last year uh, was still one that wanted to go into a game and just uh, you know give the ball to their running backs and, and uh, you know really muck it up when the traditions are when the conditions aren't bad uh, I figured with the snow game that'd mean Gardner Ederson was a shoe in to have the the, the better start but uh, instead Derby that was coming in and, and trying to rely on their speed uh, they end up getting uh, the better start and are able to kind of find their footing uh, in the snow early, which uh, I think part of that is just uh, Derek Hubbard uh, seemed to be one of the few players on the field who uh, wasn't, you know, running in place in the snow. Like he kept his speed all the way through, broke off a big run early to get them into scoring territory. Uh, I think, uh, 
Desan Bram was another one that uh, just once he got the ball and he found his way up the sideline, he ends up getting that first score for him. And, uh, you know, that speed stayed for them. And it took Gardner Edgerton a little while to try to slow them down. And then on the very next possession, they fumble the ball away. Uh, Derby, if they would have scored on that second possession, uh, it might have been a totally different game. But Gardner Edgerton's able to get that early stop. And uh, Derby doesn't get that second touchdown until midway through the the second quarter and even at that point you know you felt like in a snow game Gardner Edgerton still hadn't really got that offense rolling at all uh to be down two scores it looked you know uh like they might be in some trouble but they never panicked they never tried to speed it up they played the game that they had always planned to play uh and just keep uh you know uh, attacking with that flex bone offense uh they end up getting a score before half uh and you know uh I think Derby comes back down and tries to score again. Gardner Edgerton gets a stop, forces a four and out uh, in the red zone, and uh, with uh, some time on the clock, the you know they weren't concerned down fourteen uh, seven at the time. They were just kneel it go to half and and come back out and uh you know it, it took a while even in the third quarter but uh you know towards the the end uh, everything that was going wrong for Gardner Edgerton early started going in their favor late and uh you know you start out with uh even a, a play like uh uh, I think uh, Mark Dibiak, one of the uh, D linemen for Gardner Edgerton uh, on a punt he ends up running into the punter uh but Derby declines it because they had pinned Gardner Edgerton back on the five and you know it, it looks like you know Derby's winning the 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 battle of field position they have that that lead but once Gardner Edgerton really got going and they they got a, a, a eight yard run by uh Dylan Butosh uh at, and are able to get the lead they get the ball back and uh you know at this point Derby is selling out to stop that flex bone attack. And, uh, you know, you, you see this at least once a game for Gardner Edgerton. Once a defense has started to stop uh, Butosh a couple yards of the field, once, uh, you know, the Powell is not quite able to, to break along the sideline and it's harder to get to the edge uh, in those snowy conditions. Uh, there's going to be one play, though, where you just forget. You forget that they can throw down the field and Colton Hawkinson uh, just went by himself uh, down the field. I think he is probably a 20-yard pass that uh, when he caught it, he, he could slow down all he wanted in the snow and he probably could have taken a break and made a snow angel and got back up and scored a touchdown. Uh, he ends up taking it 65 yards to the house and uh you know at that point it's the pressure is now back on derby and uh they were trying to to you know get that offense going again the way it was early in the game but uh you know gardner edgerton uh, if 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 they know you're passing they know that you have to get downfield uh mark dibiak is able to just go after that quarterback uh like it just there's very few things you can do to slow him down. And, uh, you know, he, he made some big plays, had a, a couple sacks, one that was a, a strip sack fumble. And, uh, you know, towards the end, Gardner Edgerton's able to uh, just – get the ball 20 after 22 unanswered points uh they were able to just run out the clock and 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 end up getting the 22 to 19 win uh over derby and you know that's a big one where uh you know i've mentioned a lot of names but bravin powell uh bravin powell for the gardner edgerton uh is a 
a, a guy that when when he runs uh, his QB sneaks, uh, I don't know how anybody stops him because it's already out of that flex bone. He could go any direction he wants, give it to uh, a whole number of players. Uh, but he 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 did this. Uh, the spin move that he does where he kind of goes to either the left or the right. And then he kind of goes more off the, the, the guard and can either go to their left side or their right side. Uh, and he, I, I don't know how you stop that. I don't know as you're, you're getting forward and he ends up doing that play at the end of the game to ice it. Uh, and it was a third and five, I think. And, uh, or maybe it was third and seven. And I think he got about four or five yards uh, and four Derby players wrapped him up and, you know, he kept moving his feet. And if you've seen that brotherly shove that the Eagles do, uh, it's usually in closer quarters, but all the Gardner Edgerton players got in there, gave him the push forward and they got that extra uh, three yards to get the first down and were able to run out the clock. And I asked, Powell afterwards, you know, uh, kind of uh, what he was thinking, you know, if, you know, he knew he was going to get the first down. If, and, you know, he said all he was thinking about was that play last year, that two-point conversion, when they don't get in and they end up losing the game in overtime to Manhattan. Uh, he was like, I don't want to be in that situation. I don't, you know, it's a three-point game. Derby could uh, come back down the field. Uh, you know, they, they already had their kicker uh, have a pretty great finish for them to, to get them through the, the state semifinals. So we don't want to give them the chance. And so he knew. Yeah, put all his power into it. He knew he'd have his his teammates would have his back and help push him uh, across the line. And sure enough, I mean, it took a measurement, but once you pull the sticks out there and check, it was a first down, and uh, that ends up clinching Gardner Edgerton's uh, first state title and uh, really cool moment. And then uh, you know another interesting uh, fact was Mark Deviak, who uh, ends up blocking a punt and had the yeah, strip sack that I mentioned earlier. Uh, his dad, Jeff Deviak. Uh, actually was a Olathe North linebacker that played with uh, Gardner Edgerton head coach Jesse Owen on the 1996 team that was the first Olathe North team to win a state title. Uh, And so uh, Mark Deviak, uh, had played for Spring Hill uh, up until uh, this year that they uh, ends up transferring to Gardner Edgerton. Uh, you know, uh, Mark's dad knew that he could trust Jesse Owen with his son playing for him uh, at, at Gardner Edgerton. And uh, he ends up being a key factor in the Trailblazers getting the job done and, and making that same history that uh, Jeff Deviak and, and Jesse Owen made at Olathe North. Uh, he's, it, it was funny when Owen said it. He said it was 20 some odd years ago 22 23 it's getting closer to 30 at this point but uh you know i i didn't want to point that out to to coach owen while talking to him but uh you know it really cool to see that history there and to 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 see gardner edgerton be able to pull through particularly against uh this power like derby that is you know so much uh so much success at, at the state championship game over the last decade or so Great stuff from Class 6A. Gardner Edgerton, congratulations to them on the first ever state championship in their program history. And then we go from a team winning their first to a team that apparently the sun always shines on in the Class 5A state championship game because, uh, (laughs) as Scott mentioned, he was the one in the sun. And and Mill Valley is the team that uh, uh, when they get to a state championship game under Joel Appleby, uh, they they just don't lose. And, Scott, that was... That was the case again this year, although, you know, for a half, it, it looked like uh, 
they were uh, might be in a little in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, it was a very entertaining first half down at the uh, Carney Smith Stadium. I think maybe it shouldn't have come as any surprise when you look at the playoff scores that that uh, Mill Valley and and uh, Capen had put up. I mean, they were they were winning shootouts. Mill Valley, of course, pulled off that miracle against Blue Valley Southwest, winning forty eight forty seven in the semis, and and uh, you know Capen's Capen's playoff games were all high scoring, and, and so you really had two high powered offenses going at it. Even though Mill, you know Mill Valley came came into the game with. Without their leading rusher, Tristan Baker, he got injured in the during the playoff run, and and uh, over fifteen hundred yard running back, and and oh by the way, the guy who steps in for him is uh, Jaden Scobie, and Scobie, uh, you know, gets cape and goes for for three hundred yards rushing on and four touchdowns on twenty six carries. So uh, that kind of gives you an idea of what Mill Valley has. I mean, they're the next man up mentality, and it really it really. Uh, you know, paid off there, but but that ball game, that first half, uh, you know, it, it was worth the price of admission just just to get to halftime. That the, it was a wild shootout there in the first half. Um, Mill Valley had a 34-30 halftime lead. Uh, final score 62-37, so 34-30 at halftime, and uh, you know, Mill Valley came came out really showed kind of that championship pedigree right out of the gate. Got a 13 nothing lead. Uh, in the first four minutes of the game, and and you really kind of wondered, okay, is this is this stage a little too big too big for Capen? But but to the Crusaders' credit, you know, Capen playing in his first state championship game since 1987, and uh, had a senior class that had, had really um, had, had earned this spot. I mean, they, a lot of those players had started for for three seasons, two or three seasons, and and so they this was their moment, and and uh, you know they got things turned around behind their superstar running back Omari Elias. He he got loose for a long touchdown run, and then they overcame that thirteen nothing deficit. Actually, led at the end of the first quarter, sixteen to th- uh, thirteen, uh, and then took a lead and made it twenty three thirteen in the second quarter. And and you've got Capen's band playing the fight song, and and their crowds rocking, and and you're like, okay, this is. Uh, it is it is definitely game on, and and uh, then Will Thingball uh, for Capen uh, gets an interception. So so Capen's got a ten point lead in the ball midway through the second quarter, and and you're really thinking, okay, these guys are these guys are locked in and loaded. And then uh, Capen turned around and, and fumbled the ball back, and it really started kind of the the, the avalanche, I guess, for Mill Valley. They they rallied, got the lead um, right before halftime, uh, and it was it was a it was a moment. It was you know. The, as I said in my story, you've got a game with 14 touchdowns, over a thousand yards of total offense, uh, but there's still always that one moment that that you can kind of lock in on. And I think it was right before halftime, Mill Valley got the ball, uh, you know, with just over a minute to to go in the first half, drove down, and and their quarterback Daniel Daniel Blaine hit uh, Davion Harris uh, for their second touchdown connection of the first half. I think there were two or three seconds left on the clock right before the break, and I you just had this you just had the sense, even though it was it was only thirty four thirty, and Capen was going to get the ball to start the second half. You just kind of felt like, boy, that that is a that is a really uh, signature moment, or could be a signature moment in this game. And and sure enough, uh, Capen comes out and has the ball to start the third quarter, uh, kind of gets pinned back in its own territory off the kickoff, and, and on the third uh, their third offensive play. Uh, Mill Valley's Clayton Songaroff in, intercepts a pass and and gives uh, Mill Valley the ball uh, pretty much close to the red zone and they cash it in for the first of uh, three third quarter touchdowns and all of a sudden that 34-30 lead is 55-30 and uh, you you're kind of I mean you're then it's 
then then you just know you got you got you could see Capen kind of. I, I talked to somebody about Capen's experience in this game, and it's kind of like to me it was like when you have the 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 ice cream shake or the the orange Julius, and you drink it really fast, and, and it's great going down, and it and it's really rolling, and that's kind of how it was for Capen. And then you hit that brain freeze, and that, that reality kind of sets in, and you can just kind of see it in the third quarter with Capen. Uh, their defense was on the field a lot more in that third quarter, and and Mill Valley, uh, you know, Scobie's running wild, and Blaine, that quarterback, is is doing a good job uh, moving the offense. Uh, it was just slowly slowly taking the air out of out of uh, Capen's sails. So. Uh, Mill Valley ends up winning at 62-37, definitely the highest state championship game I've seen scoring-wise, and and uh, uh, but two really good teams. A great season for Capen. They finish 11-2, first state championship game appearance since 87. And I think, you know, under Coach Weston Charts, and what he said afterward is I think we've kind of renewed some interest in the program here. And I think, you know, that's, for an old-timer like me, I can remember when Capen was – was year in and year out just an outstanding program, and they and you know they've had some really good seasons since then, but it's just they they haven't taken that step to 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 get to the finals. Uh, it's a, it's a big one. They do lose a lot of really good seniors, including Omari Elias, who's going on to the Air Force Academy. Uh, Capen will drop down to four A next year. So as they retool, rebuild a little bit, they'll be doing it in a, in a different class. And and meanwhile. Um, you know, I think with Mill Valley, maybe the easiest thing to do with them is just pencil them in uh, in number at number one in the 5A preseason rankings for next year. Even though it was a battle to get to the state championship this year, uh, once they were there, you just kind of see, as I mentioned, that championship pedigree kind of rose to the surface. Uh, they'll have some some players to replace, some really outstanding ones uh, that were on the field. You know, Gus Hawkins, an outstanding lineman. Uh, you know, Coach Schartz at, at Cape and tells me. Or told me, he said, you know, they've got a left tackle who's 280. He said, my left tackle, uh, defensive tackle, goes 165. And he said, eventually that catches up with you. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that way at every position because Capen certainly had some outstanding players. But uh, but Mill Valley definitely, uh, you just see some athletes out there every year. And, and uh, you know, their reign in 5A continues. That's the fifth different opponent uh, from the West that they've defeated in the state finals. They beat uh, Bishop Carroll. To start this uh, start this run in 2015, uh, they beat uh, Goddard in uh, one of their for one of their titles. Uh, beat Wichita Northwest and Mace t- uh, twice each, and then Capen here is the is the fifth opponent from the West that uh, uh, Mill Valley takes down. So just a tremendous run going on right now at Mill Valley, and and uh, you know had a had a really successful coach reach out to me just to to talk about active coaches who have had um, your who are winning titles and. W- Kind of where those numbers fall, and I think the the thing we agreed on is just when you when you uh, you know when you step back and you see that Mill Valley is seven and zero under Joel Appleby in titles game title games. That is really uh, just a, the amazing number that stands out. You know, the, right now they're at five straight five A titles. That's one off the state record that the uh, is co-owned by Hutchinson and Bishop Mia. So next year they'll be they'll be trying to join that uh, that that elite list there. Uh, they're already elite, though, and, and they really showed it uh, sat- or that, that Saturday down in Pittsburgh. Absolutely, yeah. Joel Appleby seven and zero in title games. That gives it, you know, seven state championship. The elite company there on guys that have won seven or more state titles, and and 
kind of tying some things in. He beats Capen. Well, one of the guys that is the state leader for coaching championships is Ed Crewell, who coached Capen to nine state championships uh, back during Capen's real powerful heydays. And then he got some company this year in the Class 4A state title game with Randy Dryling joining him with nine state titles overall. Obviously, Dryling won a majority of those titles while at Hutchinson, as Scott said. Uh, you know, Hutch had six in a row at one point. That was all under Randy Dryling when he built that into what was the state powerhouse at that time. Uh, and then he's moved up to St. Thomas Aquinas and and taken St. Thomas Aquinas to another level from where the program was. And, and uh, they captured their second state title. Uh, with 35-7 victory over Andover Central in the Class 4A state championship game. And, you know, Class 4A has been dominated by Miege, St. James, and St. Thomas Aquinas for the last decade. You know, Miege had its great run, uh, winning six in a row, and then St. James ended that streak, and they won two straight, and Miege got it back last year and won. And now St. Thomas Aquinas throws their hat in the ring with a Class 4A state title. And Aquinas really dominant in its in its playoff run. You know they knocked off Miege in the in the uh, second round to uh, to end Miege's Miege's reign in 4A this year, and then just kind of kept going and got healthy for the playoffs. Uh, Gianni Rizzi, they're they're really good running back, uh, missed a good part of the regular season, but he's he returned for the playoffs and was a key factor. And then their defense was just outstanding uh, this year. Um, Aquinas's defense held opponents' rushing attack to 84 yards per game, which was a school record for St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, you know, that starts up front with Kyan Payne. Uh, their outstanding defensive tackle uh, goes just at each level. You know, uh, uh, they got some great linebackers, Wyatt Potter and Luke Hancock. Uh, they got Dylan Marshall on the secondary. So uh, just a really solid, solid team. And, you know, Randy didn't, doesn't make a lot of fuss about joining Crewell with the state record. It, to him, it's just another title. And, you know, Randy, Randy's going to be matter of fact about that. It's always about the players and about the, the, the program and not, not about himself. And so, but, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas just had, had a great season, really. You know, they, they fought through some injuries. They played in the toughest league in the state, in the Eastern Kansas League. Uh, you know, that produces Miege, Blue Valley Southwest, which uh, gave Mill Valley everything they wanted and more. And, and you know, how, pretty much had them beat in, in that semifinals before uh, Mill Valley pulls out the, the last play of the game to, to get back to the championship game. And so, you know, that league's always tough. And you know anybody that comes out of there and is going to play in a state championship game is going to be uh, is going to be a, a load. And it was just a little too much for Andover Central. You know, they were back. Uh, they've kind of been on this odd year trip to the state championship where every other year they find their way back to the 4A state title game. And, you know, they're still looking for that title. But, you know, they had a lot of juniors, a lot of underclassmen that were key players on this team. You know, they'll lose a really good player in Kyle Newsom, their outstanding defensive end, but almost all of their other key contributors are will be back next year. They were a very junior-dominant team, uh, had a great run through the west side of the playoffs, uh, taking out taking out Wamigo, taking out, you know, teams like that. And uh, and so uh, Andover Central is going to be a team that, that will be a factor in Class 4A again next year. They had a they had a solid season this year, and I think uh, I think they can be a team that will uh, will really be one to keep an eye on next year in Class 4A when returning the likes of uh, Dawson Rod on the offensive line, Jace Jefferson, a quarterback, Brant Stuka, and Jace Adler from the receiving core, defensive secondary. Uh, you just kind of go down their roster. It was junior, 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 junior. So uh, Andover Central will be good again next year. St. Thomas Aquinas will move back up to Class 5A next year. 
uh, as will St. James. So that leaves just Bishop Miege back down in 4A on the east side of the state um, as the powers that have been on the on the east side. Uh, so the 4A side of the state will look a little different next year, you know, with Aquinas and St. James and Baser Linwood, a, a team that's that's seen its seasons come to end year after year after year against these these uh, these private school powerhouses, and they move up to Class Five A as well next year. So uh, the Class Four A landscape will will have a really different look next year. Uh, you know, Bishop Miege obviously is a team that will will be there in the mix, Andover Central, but then we, we might have a lot of new faces uh, kind of taking taking uh, taking their place. Uh, Scott's mentioned Cape and dropping down, so we'll uh, we'll see what Class Four A shapes up like next year. But this year. It was St. Thomas Aquinas getting its second state title in program history with a 35-7 win over Andover Central in the championship game. Um, that one was played in Topeka. Um, Reezy had two touchdowns in that game, and, and St. Thomas Aquinas led 28-7 at halftime and just kind of put it on cruise control there. Uh, held held Andover Central to just four first downs and 125 total yards in the game. So it was their defense that really uh, really showed up in that game and, and – uh, and really uh, delivered that title for St. Thomas Aquinas. And then down to Class 3A, um, another first-time state champion. We talked about Gardner winning its first state title. Cheney gets its first state championship game. And, you know, a lot of the argument could be made that the championship game was played the week before with Cheney and Andale in the semifinals. And, you know, the way the title game played out, I think that's probably a uh, – uh, a logical uh, logical assumption to make, but you know I saw this Hayden team that that went down and played in the title game, and they they had a dominant season. They uh, they really weren't tested by anybody on their schedule at all this year, and that included the semifinal game where they jumped all over Holton. And getting Finn Dunshee back and healthy really was a difference. And I thought you know if they got down to the title game, that maybe they would have a shot at uh, at really pushing Cheney and and making a game of it, but. You know, sometimes you just get those teams that are on on a destiny uh, destiny march, and and Scott, that sure seemed like Cheney. I mean, when you when you get Anvil not just once but twice, it, it seems like you're destined to uh, to win a state championship. Yeah, just an, you know, an amazing. See, we've talked about this in the past, and it really Cheney would kind of goes back to the, that first victory over Andale, uh, the midseason, and ended Andale's remarkable uh, fifty-seven game winning streak. The way they did it, they you know, it, it wasn't a perfect evening. Uh, they had to overcome a lot, but they were also down twenty-two nothing and found a way to do it. And so you knew that team had some metal uh, you know, right right then. And Shelby Werman has has, has had a great great program since he's he's joined Cheney and. Uh, you know, they just there's kind of been that ceiling they've hit, and and uh, I think maybe beating Andale the first time during the regular season, um, you know, really obviously it was a momentum builder, and and they they carried that through, and uh, and you know, and then basically the 2.0 version of the game with Andale we talked about again, they fell behind and and found a way to come back and get that done, and uh, you know that was a game that almost didn't happen because the week before. Uh, you know, there was a you know they had a little bit of a, a mess up against Clay Center and fell behind in the final minute and they found a way to win that one with a last second field goal. So you start to you know we've talked about the word destiny and it, it seemed like yeah, I was on Cheney's side a little bit uh, uh, this year and then maybe just you know getting to the the championship game when you consider the conditions when you consider how Hayden as you mentioned kind of controlled everybody they played. Uh, for, for Cheney to go out and do what they did, you know, they limit Hayden to 120 yards offense that day. And, and even though it's, uh, you know, it probably snowed as heavy in, in Hutch as it did anywhere in, in the state. And they were still able to throw the ball and that, you know, Cheney, that's Cheney's identity. Uh, it's kind of to, to throw the ball first and then work back to the run. And, 
and uh, quarterback Josh Burdick was was able to throw the ball, and I think that that's a that was a big factor. I mean, he was obviously uh, successful, 227 yards and four touchdowns in that snow, and that's uh, Cheney was able to do what they do. And I think uh, you know maybe if 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 that snow would have had a different uh, effect or or uh, um, you know if they if they had to change their identity in that ball game, maybe it didn't go, wouldn't have gone that well, but. Uh, it certainly did, and they found, you know, these championship games always seem to have a guy who maybe is not the guy you, if you were going to pick, who's going to be the hero of this championship game. Uh, you know, Jackson both might have been the guy you'd have gone with with Cheney. He had a great game, uh, but Drew Toller really stepped up, caught two touchdown passes, uh, returned a kickoff, 88 yards for a touchdown. So, so you know, you get that one moment, those so those couple hours where you're on the stage, and Drew Toller really took advantage of it uh, for Cheney and and kind of stepped up and, and and was one of the one of the guys, so to speak, uh, that day for for Cheney. So they finished the the season thirteen and 0, first state championship. I was out of their basketball game the other night, and and uh, two of their standouts, Jackson Both and Coulter McDaniel, both in street clothes. They're kind of they're they're recuperating a little bit, so to speak, from 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 some various ailments and and getting dinged up a little bit during the football season. So they're they're trying to get their their legs, maybe trying to thaw out from from that championship game. I don't know, but uh, uh, and just an outstanding season for Cheney and and uh, you know I think you you could pay a lot of attention to their offense with guys like Burdick and, and both and their receiving core uh, you know with with both and McDaniel uh, their defense. Uh, was outstanding as well, and and really after some early hiccups against Andale, was able to shut at, shut Andale down a couple times to to get those wins, and then in the championship game, uh, that unit, as, as I said, Lemons Hayden, 120 yards, uh, Drew Toller, Hunter McKinley, Cason uh, Messenger, both uh, McDaniel, those guys all were all, all part of a really good and maybe underappreciated defensive uh, unit there for for Cheney. So total total, you know. A, a, a complete team uh, wins the Class 3A title in Cheney. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was going to take a complete team. Hayden was a really good team. Like I said, Finn Dunshee. Uh, and that, that team had overcome injuries all year long. They lost a key starting lineman. They lost their starting quarterback right at the start of the playoffs. Dunshee was out for a period of time. He got back for, for the end of the playoffs. But, uh, you know, Hayden had a great year and has a lot of young guys that are going to be uh, back to, to lead them again next year. And so – you know, Class 3A, but that was a matchup of undefeateds. You know, both Hayden and Cheney went in undefeated. So Cheney finishes 13-0, and and Hayden finishes 12-1. and And then the Class 2A championship game also was a pair of undefeateds. You had defending champion Nemaha Central 12-0, and and then Hoisington, which uh, had had a great run in the playoffs, knocked off back-to-back weeks, knocked off undefeated Southeast of Saline and undefeated Norton to get to the state championship game. And then their, their tr- attempt was to try and end Emile Central's two-year reign, uh, two-year undefeated streak. And, uh, you know, it was, but both teams really like to line up and just run it at you, throw that three yards in a cloud of dust. Well, it was three yards in a puff of snow is what it was uh, up at uh, up in Salina. As the, that, that turf was snow-covered, but, you know, all they did was run. And, and run, both teams just lined up, and we're going to try to run, 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 and, and see what uh, – See who can stop the other, and it was Nemo Central that uh, that ends up getting more stops than not. Uh, you know, they just put the ball in Carter Hike's hands and said, uh, "We're going to go." And they took their their uh, big offensive lineman Holden Bass, one of the best ones in the state this year. And you know, he, he's usually their strong guard, is what Gla- Michael Glatzik calls him. Uh, they they flip flop him to each side, whichever way they're going to run. They put him on that side, 
and run behind him. Well, they did They did one better. They just put him in the backfield for the entirety of the game. He basically just lined up as a fullback. They brought in an extra, uh, an extra lineman, a sophomore kid that they really have high hopes for for the future put him in that guard spot and just said, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to run the ball today. We're going to, we're going to really come at you with, uh, with the big guys that we got. And, uh, uh, you know, Bass, he's six four two ninety. That's a, that's a pretty big fullback coming at you off the edge. If you're, uh, if you're one of those Poisington linebackers trying to set the edge or a DN trying to set the edge, uh, that's, that's probably not going to work out in your favor, but, uh, you know, Hoisington did a really good job defensively and really made Nemaha central, earn a lot of what they got uh you know Nemaha comes down and scores right on the first drive Carter Hike takes it in from six yards out but Hoisington Hoisington buckles down and, and they stop him and they uh they avoid uh, having a turnover turn into a big mistake and then right before halftime they get a four-yard touchdown run from Tony Moore and just like that it's 7-6 at halftime and Nemaha Central's trailing at the half for the first time all season and so you know, they're kind of in a different spot. What do we do? And Hoisington's going to get the ball to start the second half and, and has all the momentum from the end of the first half. And you think, well, you know, how's this thing going to go? But uh, Nemoc Central comes out, gets a stop to start the second half. And then uh, Carter Hike gets a seven-yard touchdown run to cap one drive. They, they force a fumble near midfield. Hike takes it 49 yards a couple plays later. Uh, kind of a backbreaker there. That puts them up 20 to 7. Now they've got all the momentum. Uh, they get another touchdown run from Hike early in the fourth quarter, and uh, and Nemaha Central's on its way to its second straight title, second straight thirteen and zero season. Uh, they finish the game. Hike carries the ball forty nine out of the fifty one times uh, in the team stats for the game. Uh, one of those carries was a kneel down, so a team carry. So of the actual carries in the game. He carries it 49 out of the 50 times Nemaha Central runs the ball. And that's kind of their MO. We're going to line up behind our big boys, uh, uh, Bass, Abe Hilbert, Josh Gonzalez. Those those three seniors up front have just been monsters uh, for for Nemaha Central. And they just basically say, you know what we're going to do? Now you got to stop us. And, and nobody can. I mean, nobody has been able to for two years now. Um, you know, Hike finishes with 200 and, and, uh, and 66 yards rushing in the game, um, completes a couple passes. Tony Moore from Hoisington has a, has a solid game, rushes for 129 yards. His passing game really didn't take off until the very end. They they used the passing game to get down and get a late touchdown, but Nemal Central takes a 28-14 victory to capture its second straight Class 2A state championship. And like I said, they've won now won 26 in a row, which is second best in the state currently right now. Uh, we'll get to who has the state lead uh, a little bit later when we talk about the eight-man games uh, down in down in Newton. But uh, that was your Class 2A state champions. Hoisington, another great season. Zach Baird's just had a tremendous career there. All they do is – all he's done is taking that program to another level. They're still seeking that first state championship. Uh, but uh, if, if Baird sticks with it, I'm sure it's going to come at some point because he's just got that program rolling. they got a lot of nice young players. They'll lose some key guys like Tony Moore. Uh, four-year starting lineman, get, uh, Caden Hoffman, who was just a monster. I mean, you know, Nemaha's big, but Caden was the biggest guy on the field uh, out there at, at over 300 pounds, 6'3", six, 3'10". Uh, six, three, three, uh, but, uh, you know, Nemaha Central, just they just lined up and got it done for a second straight year, their third title here in the last uh, in the last five or six years. So uh, Nemaha Central's got it rolling under, under Michael Glatzik as well. And so that was your Class 2A. Class 1A was out in Hayes. And we had Conway Springs, uh, you know, they, they were a 
program that was a perennial state power back in the day, uh, back in the early 2000s. Kind of, they were in there in that streak time is when I called it, when Colgan was on its streak and then Conway Springs was kind of right in there and then Smith Center uh, launched its big winning streak and all these, all three of those programs put together these monstrous, uh, monstrous winning streaks and, and state championship streaks. But, you know, since that time, Conway hadn't, hadn't been back to get a, get a state title, but uh, they made it back out to, out to Hayes and they took on uh, first timer Jefferson County North, which made the championship game for the first time in program history. And, uh, and, it, it maybe showed up a little bit. Conway Springs, even though they hadn't been there, they've kind of had that experience of just seeing, you know, being around the program that's been at that point. And Conway Springs came out and uh, controlled things right from the start. Uh, Braden Coons, their standout running back, bop, pops an 87-yard touchdown run in, in the first quarter. That puts Conway Springs up 13 to nothing. And and even though Jefferson North comes back and gets a touchdown run. He just Conway just kind of had control of the game. Coons adds two more touchdowns in the uh, in the second half, both in the fourth quarter. Another one on a 54 yard run. He finishes with 313 yards rushing in the game on 34 carries. And Conway Springs takes a 35-6 victory over Jefferson County North to finish the season 11 and two. Uh, Jefferson County North also finishes 11-2. Just a great season by uh, by Jeff Schneider's crew up there. Uh, you know, like I said, made it to the state championship game with a really good senior class: uh, Grady Knoll, Ethan Knoll, uh, Connor Cairns, uh, R.B. Tweed. Just a lot of really good seniors that took that program, kind of got that next step for that program that they've been seeking for for quite a long time. And you know, when you look at the, their road to the playoffs uh, to the state championship game. You know the teams that had really ruled the roost in the in the East for the last uh, couple decades: Pittsburgh, Colgan, Centralia, Olpe. All three of those teams won multiple state titles during that time. Well, Jeff North beats all three of those to get to the state championship game. So a great season for Jefferson County North. But Conway Springs gets another uh, state championship in in their program history. Uh, Matt Beeler gets a gets another one for him, and uh, the Cardinals just finish a, a great year. They they started the year zero and two with losses to Garden Plain and Kingman, but then uh, win eleven straight to finish the season and add another state title to their program's rich history. So Conway Springs is your Class One A state champion, and then Class uh, and down in the eight player division, Ricky, uh, we uh, we saw a really highly anticipated matchup go a little bit different than we might have thought in that eight player division one game. Yeah, uh, Linden and, and Wichita County, yeah, I, th- I thought it was going to be a really, really back-and-forth game uh, with, you know, maybe Wichita County having a little bit of an edge because they've been so dominant over the last two years, um, you know, entered with the 25-game win streak. And, uh, you know, it just seemed kind of like all the stars were aligned for Linden this year. You know, we've talked a lot about how Tanner Heckles, uh, you know, Tanner Heckle transferring into that program was such a game-changer, um, you know, after his time in Inman. But the story of the game was what they did defensively. Obviously, at Wichita County has been such a juggernaut over offense, offense, offensively over the last couple of years. Um, you know, this year they've came, they were came in averaging a little over sixty-one points, I think. Um, and for Linden to win that game, thirty-four to six, and hold hold Wichita County to under two hundred yards. I mean, that that's quite the feat there. And you know, some people will say, you know, the snow maybe took a little bit of you know, Wichita County's explosiveness away, but, 
you know, they Wichita County is a team that has a really good ground game, and for for Linden to hold them to 177 yards on the ground, I thought was a really good effort. I you know I just thought it was a really good team effort from from Linden all the way around. Um, obviously, Heckle Heckle was sensational offensively at. Uh, 251 yards and four touchdowns on on 29 carries but uh defensively it was just it was just a really good team effort um you know I'll, I'll try to mention some of the some of their starters because I really did think um they were solid everywhere defensively but Daxton Miller, Caston Worth, Ethan Ramey, James Marcotte, uh Jalen Massey who's a heck of an offensive player and then up front uh Six foot eight, two hundred eighty-five. Caden Massey at nose guard. Uh, that's that's a pretty intimidating uh, uh, figure to go against, and he he was great along with uh, with uh, Eli Feltner and uh, yeah, and then Caleb Anschutz. Uh, you know he he did a really good job on the offensive line as well. But uh, yeah, I mean that what a what a story for Linden and and grabbing their first state championship uh, with the undefeated season. Um, you know, like I said before, Heckle was obviously a game changer. They were, you know, they were going to be a good team. They were going to be a good team already. And then, um, you know, Heckle's addition just brought them to, to another level. But, um, you know, with, with Wichita County, you know, they weren't, uh, you know, Brant Douglas didn't make any excuses about the conditions or anything like that. Um, he just, he, he just had praise for Linden and what they were able to do defensively. I will say the one thing. I did think it took a little bit of their aggressiveness away. Uh, you know, Wichita County, they love to not punt, and they love to go for it on fourth down. And um, on their first couple of possessions, they, they, did have to, they did have to punt. And, and normally, if it, you know, if it was clear fields, I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they would have. So, but, you know, you know, you have to adapt. And uh, obviously, Linden was able to adapt to the, to the conditions a little bit better. But, um you know, I say heck, heck of a run there for for Wichita County. Like I said, twenty five game win streak. Uh, Wyatt Gardner did a great job stepping in at quarterback this year. Um, you know, they lose they lose a couple other good, really good seniors and uh, Christopher Michelle and uh, Colton Harbin, but uh, they do to return Chris Hermosillo, who's a heck of a player for next year. So I I expect them to be to be a, a contender. So yeah, but it was a uh, yeah. Well, it uh, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting a game like that, and but Linden just showed up and really put together a, a really dominant performance. And then uh, I'll go ahead and jump in on the Division Two game since I was there as well. Um, you know, Axtell versus uh, South Central. Obviously, Axtell was uh, entered on a, a thirty-eight game win streak, I believe. Um, they were. Uh, they were going up against a South Central team who was who was at you know in the midst of their best season uh, since since South Central was was formed, um, and you know it's funny. I mean, they Axtell comes out on that first possession and, and goes three and out, and you can you can see why this team is so good because they just strive for for perfection. Uh, uh, Coach Eric Detweiler looked like he was beside himself. Uh, I mean, he they were just so frustrated after going that third and out, and then they. They get a stop. They go down and score a touchdown, and then they botch the two point play. And Detweiler just he just lit into his guys. I mean, he he was furious. And after that, I mean, they were they were pretty much flawless. They go on to win that game, fifty uh, nothing. Uh, it's over at halftime, um, and that that just speaks to how dominant that program's been over over the last three years. I mean, really. Uh, 
really this year in particular, I mean, I just, I just felt like they were pretty much un, untouchable. I don't think, um, you know, anybody would, I don't think anybody was going to beat Axtell. Um, obviously, uh, you know, Brandon smells, he's a heck of a play playmaker. He had a huge game with that, with the 114 yards rushing, but then they, you know, they just got so many good complimentary pieces. I don't know if complimentary is the right word, but they have just so many good pieces all over the place with uh, with Eli Broxtermid and Grant, Grant Busing had a huge, huge block punt that, that he was able to recover for a touchdown. But it was just – it was just domination. I mean, uh, South Central was held to one one first down. Um, yeah, just just a really really impressive sh- impressive showing for Axdale to get that third third straight championship. And um, you know, good uh, obviously a great run too for South Central. Um, you know, they it was tough for they just kind of ran into a buzzsaw there in the in the championship game. But um, that semifinal win against Victoria is something that program is going to remember for for a long time. Um, you know, that was a heck of a win. Uh, JT Prusa is a, a really good quarterback. Uh, Gavin Yule, Jamie Sarmiento. Sarmiento um, uh, 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 yeah, they just they just have a lot of really really good pieces on that, and I think they were they were really proud to be in that moment. And even though it didn't go their way, I think they they appreciated being a chance to play for for a state championship. But yeah, Brent, the, do you have anything you want to add on Axtell? Obviously, it's been a, been a tremendous run for that program. Oh yeah, I mean, I've you know I've seen them in person a few times, and and they take good teams and make them look not very good. And and I you know I saw them play Frankfurt, which was an outstanding football team this year, and and just I mean it, it looked like two different worlds out there almost. I mean it, it's crazy how good that team is. And, and I, I saw a social media post about maybe Axel should be playing eleven man football since they're so dominant and eight man. Well, I remember. Uh, it was like five years ago. They they played a game at Hanover, and I think they had eleven kids standing on their sideline, and and won that game. And I mean, it, I mean, it was crazy. And that, the culture that that is up there now is just it's just amazing. This this group of athletes that's come through here lately is just it's just in, in, insane. I mean, I had a coach on an all state ballot said I thought they might struggle a little bit this year losing Detweiler, but then. Uh, the Schmelzy kid takes over, and he said, and he's m- maybe even more athletic than Detweiler was. And Detweiler was a top eleven All State pick for us last year, and a kid that just he was, you know, being the coach's kid, he just had control of the game at all times as a quarterback. But now you've got one of the state's freak athletes. I mean, that's what Brandon Schmelzy is. He's a, he's a freak athlete, a great basketball player, exceptional track athlete, and and just doesn't make mistakes. He, he, he set a set an eight-player state record for completion percentage this year. He didn't throw an interception at all this year. I mean, it, his, his numbers were just insane. And for a, for a team that really doesn't put up a lot of eye-popping offensive stats because they end their games so quickly, I mean, you know, their first downs are touchdowns in, in their games, you know, they're, they're, and their defense is so good at that. You know, it puts their offense in great plays, great position where they don't have to go that far to score. And teams start going against it because are you, are you going to give up a 20-yard touchdown on the next play if you don't get this this uh, first down? Or are we going to give up a 60-yard touchdown? I mean, it was this kind of that kind of that kind of feeling when you play Axel. It's like you you have to be almost perfect, and they have to be somewhat less than perfect for a, another team to have a chance. And they've just been absolutely dominating. Uh, here, especially this year, I mean, there nobody even came close to touching them, except for Care Faravel in, in the season opener. I'm sorry, Care Faravel gave him a great game in the season opener. Uh, 
Axel needed to go to the fourth quarter. And that was, you know, when they were kind of breaking in that eight, in Brandon, a quarterback to replace and kind of figuring out where the pieces were going to fit. But, uh, I mean, here's these numbers, 90 of 109 this year passing for Brandon Schmelzi. I mean, that's, that's insane numbers. That's 19 incompletions all season. That's, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy, crazy to think about that. And, you know, like I said, he's not alone. And, and the scary thing is, is most of their key guys are juniors. They're going to, they're going to take a hit up front where they lose Grant Bussing and, and uh, Sawyer Dieters and then Grady Bussing, uh, one of their really good wide receivers and, and a good linebacker, but that's it. That's all they lose. They lose three guys off of this team that were, that were significant contributors. Um, and they've got some young dudes that are coming in. Uh, Landon Schmitz is another back. He's been a sophomore. He hardly gets any touches, but when he does, he makes the most of them. So if they could plug some holes on the line and, uh, and, and find some guys there to, to really, you know, keep, make that part of the, make that part of the equation steady. I mean, I, I don't see this streak, uh, ending next year. I don't know. I mean, Frankfurt returns a lot of guys they'd be the team that I could really see maybe giving them a challenge South central, if they can, uh, fill some of those key key senior holes that they have, you know, their team that can get back. But I mean, this, this Axel team is, is built for a long haul and built to put itself in the, in the conversation. When we talked about the Andales, the, the Smith centers, the Colgans, the, the Conway Springs, these, these programs that put up these monster winning streaks. I mean, this is, this is where Axel's at. I mean, they're, they're right there uh, in terms of the longest uh, longest winning streak for an eight player team that belonged to Hanover. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember what it was, but you know they're at 39 in a row. They're they're right there. They're they're right in that in that conversation if they haven't already passed it. I, I remember it was in the high 30s, low 40s, but I, I can't remember exactly where it is right right now. But uh, you know this Axel team is is something special and, and it's going to be that way for a while. I mean, uh, you know. Coach Detweiler graduated Isaac Detweiler last year. Well, his, his, he has another son that was a freshman this year, and he was a backup quarterback. And and he came in and threw multiple touchdown passes in, in uh, mop-up time. So, you know, the pipeline at Axel is good. They have an incredible scoreboard with video <laughs> and everything, which is crazy for an eight-player program to have something like that. But that's how invested they are in this football program. And and uh, Axel isn't going anywhere, guys. This, this is going to be a, a team for – teams in eight player division two to have to reckon with for, for, uh, years to come. So, uh, congratulations to Eric Detweiler and the Axel Eagles, 39 straight victories, three state state titles and set up to uh, do it all again next year. And then the final championship game was six player. Uh, you know, last year was the first year we crowned a, a six player champion. That was Cunningham. They made it back to the state title game this year and they had to take on Shy Lynn, a team that won, the uh, Wild West Bowl when Six Flair wasn't officially recognized by Keisha. Uh, but so Shidelin comes in uh, undefeated. Cunningham comes in having lost their season opener to Ashland and, and dominated every team since then. But this was domination by Shidelin from start to finish. Uh, Logan McCarty and Pablo Bermudez, just two outstanding uh, six-man football players and just were way too much for uh, for Shidelin. You know, Cunningham's defense had been awesome this year, but but those two guys are just uh, we're just on another level this year. And Shylin comes out and takes a 57 to eight victory. Game ends in the third quarter. Uh, they led 30 to eight at halftime, then put up 27 real quickly in the third quarter uh, to take home their first ever uh, Keisha State Championship. Uh, you know, again, the numbers aren't crazy, but you know, shorter fields and when the defense performing like they did. Uh, you know, the, the stats weren't going to be crazy. Logan McCarty rushes for, for 98 yards, but uh, he has 
four, three touchdown runs. Pablo Bermudez catches a touchdown pass. McCarty throws two touchdown passes. McCarty throws three touchdown passes or four touchdown passes, I'm sorry, in addition to his three touchdown runs. So Logan McCarty accounts for seven touchdowns in that championship game. And they just they just overwhelmed the Cunningham team. That, that was really good. I mean, a really good Cunningham team that had a lot of pieces back from last year's state championship team and a team that them and, and Ashland and and, uh, and Shylin were kind of the three teams we looked at all year as the, the teams that were probably going to be the the teams that decided this year. Uh, Shylin beat Ashland in the semifinals to get back to the title game. And then uh, then they take care of Cunningham. So Shylin finishes the season undefeated, 12-0. and Cunningham finishes 10-2. and uh, and to cap off the six-player state championship. And so that's all your state champions for football this year. Class 6A, Gardner-Edgerton. Class 5A, Mill Valley. Class 4A, St. Thomas Aquinas. Class 3A, Cheney. Class 2A, Nemaha Central. Class 1A, Conway Springs. Eight-player Division One Linden. Eight-player Division Two Axtell. And six-player Shylin. Your undefeated state champions were Cheney, Nemaha Central, um, Linden, Axtell, and Shy Lynn. And so that wraps up a football season. Almost. We're almost done with football season. We do have to hand out Keisha Covered's postseason honors, uh, our all-state and all-class teams. And those will be coming out uh, this weekend. We will release our all-state top 11 uh, on Thursday. So as soon as you're done tuning into this podcast, go head over to our website and check out our all-state top 11. But we're going to tease it here and talk a little bit about our All-State Top 11 picks uh, that we had this year. Uh, so many great players across the state. This is always a, a tough challenge to do. Um, you know, we talk amongst ourselves. We talk amongst uh, other other guys in the state who we trust. And, and you come come down and kind of see how championships play out. And you get your list together. And, and this year's All-State Top 11 uh, is a nice mixture. We got we got some do- dominating offensive players, some dominating linemen, some dominating defensive players on this uh, top eleven. We'll go ahead and, and talk a little bit about them. Our first one would be Holden Bass from Nemaha Central, an offensive defensive lineman, six four two ninety, led Nemaha Central to the Class Two A state championship the last two years, and and just a disruptive force. Uh, he recently uh, committed as a preferred walk-on to Kansas State, and just he's just been a dominating force on their offensive-defensive lineman line for the past couple years. Uh, really started when he was a sophomore, forced his way into the starting lineup as a sophomore. This year he had 113 tackles, which is an incredible number for a defensive lineman. You, you know, usually they're the guys plugging it up and letting those linebackers make those tackle numbers, but uh, Bass was so dominant uh, uh, that he, uh, he was right there on the team, ranked third on the team in tackles. Uh, Nemo Central's defense allowed 5.2 points per game this year, 67 total points uh, in 13 games. And then their offense, uh, Carter Hike, goes well over 2,000 yards. They rushed for 4,353 yards as a team. And so Holden Bass, we talked about him lining up in fullback in the championship game and, and just, a, just a tremendous, tremendous uh, offensive defensive lineman. And then another uh, another lineman. I'm and I'm just going down these alphabetically. This is the the order we picked them. This is just alphabetical. Uh, Mac talked a little bit about him. Uh, Mark Dibiak from Gardner Edgerton and Mac. Uh, you know, you got to see him play. And and when we talk about disruptive forces, uh, Dibiak was definitely that for Gardner Edgerton this year. Yeah, and just the way that he would 
give a hundred percent effort. Like I, I mentioned with the the play where he ends up running into the uh, the the punter and and you know he, he wanted to go back and give it another shot to get the block uh, the next couple punts and the coaches tell him, all right, this is a return, this is a return. But the moment they tell him, hey, this is a block, go for it. Sure enough, Mark Dibiak gets to the ball and blocks the punt and and puts Gardner Edgerton in a great spot. And he did that all year uh, when uh, you know when he got his strip sack fumble in that that uh, uh, state game. Uh, coaches were telling him, "Hey, you're not going fast enough. Go fast." And as soon as they say that, he kicks into gear and he gets to the quarterback. Uh, the ability to to do that all season, uh, you know, force five fumbles. <clears throat> a blocked kick and uh you know has a, a 48 tackles for loss of 20 sacks uh you know he he was just consistently in the backfield causing disruption for Gardner Edgerton and then when you add him with a guy like uh Spencer Easley and 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 uh a whole bunch of the, on the front seven that, that that could just uh you know swarm to the ball uh makes it very difficult to run then you try to pass and they got guys on the back side and uh you know I, I bet you, you go down the list of members of the secondary that tell you their job was so much easier because of what Mark Dibiak was able to do up front for the Trailblazers. So congratulations to Mark Dibiak. Uh, his dad, outstanding football player, as Mac had mentioned, from Olathe North. And so um, uh, Mark Dibiak from Gardner Edgerton, also on our top 11 this year. And sticking in the Kansas City metro area, uh, Dylan Dunn, Blue Valley Southwest quarterback, 6'4", 200, uh, senior this year. And Dunn has kind of been the face of the Blue Valley Southwest offense, a three-year starter, a quarterback, and uh, finished his career with 9,148 passing yards, which ranks second all-time in state history to Carter Putts uh, from Miege. He also has 94 career touchdowns. That ranks second behind Putts. And then 3,777 yards and 47 touchdowns this year. Uh, that 3,777 is uh, fifth best in state history. And, Mac, uh, you got to see a little bit of Dylan this year, uh, and he almost got Southwest to their first state championship game this year and just a, a tremendous quarterback. Yeah, and he, he's a, a, a quarterback who can make every throw out there, uh, is a is a player that knows uh, how to lead his receivers, know exactly where to put it in there, and he has the confidence to put it in in tight windows and, and to make that happen. And then I not only saw him this year, I mean, I saw, uh, I think my first experience watching him in person was uh, the state quarterfinals last year against DeSoto, and that was one I don't, I think going in, it, it, DeSoto was the favorite, uh, and uh, Blue Valley Southwest just came out one that was a cold one and he's uh just I, I think it was five touchdowns in the first half of that one and put it away early but uh that was when I, I was talking to one of their photographers over there and he had told me that uh their n- nickname for him was the king of the fade and uh sure enough you watch him you know I, any clip I seen it saw him again uh, against Bishop Miege early this year and then saw him in that Mill Valley game and uh without a doubt I mean he can make all the passes but when he needs to throw that fade route to the wide receiver and he had the connections there with with uh, Alex Parks, uh, Tate Everard, and 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 Emmett Peters. Uh, he, he could throw it up to them. They knew when to stop and when to go up and, and high point that ball. And uh, you know, it, you could just see defenses get so frustrated watching how often they thought they had him in a third and long. They were gonna be able to get that stop for this offense to just constantly put up points. And sure enough, Dylan Dunn put it right on the money for that pass. And uh, you know, that was just 
just one of the the many throws that he would make to 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 start building up those numbers you mentioned earlier, Brent. Uh, just constantly putting his wide receivers in the perfect position, putting the ball right where it needed to be for them to 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 get it, and uh, it, it helped having some really talented guys. But I think. Uh, Dylan Dunn, he's getting his, uh, you know, flowers here after the season. Didn't get to make the state finals like he wanted to, but uh, getting a lot of recognition. I know. Uh, I think it was last night. Was the uh, maybe it was today? Uh, I don't know. Time blurs together. But Simone, uh, he he brought home that award too. So he's getting a bunch of the the KC awards because he was he's he's been that good, and uh, he definitely deserves all the praise he's getting. Yeah, I believe the Simone Award was supposed to be announced on Wednesday, the day we're actually taping this podcast. So we'll be interested to see if he does win that. Mac, you talked about your first time seeing him against DeSoto. Yeah, you saw a good one. 601 yards, eight touchdowns in that game. Uh, that's a pretty good uh, pretty good impression to leave on somebody. So uh, Dylan Dunn also on our All-State Top 11 this year and moving from uh, one of the most productive quarterbacks in the state to one of the most productive running backs in the state. Um, Scott's touched on him already a little bit. Amari Elias from Cape and Mount Carmel, a 5'8", 205-pound senior running back, finished this year with 3,100 rushing yards, 40 touchdowns, and finished his career with 7,726 yards and 96 touchdowns. And Scott, you know, Wichita has produced its share of great running backs throughout the years when you look at Barry Sanders, Brees Hall, Bryce Brown, on and on and on. You know, Amari's got to fit somewhere pretty high on that list. Yeah, you know, if if we, we when you talk about what characteristic stands out, and I think you look at at, at Amari with a thousand thirty eight career carries. I mean that if nothing says Energizer Bunny like that, I mean Capen, you know, Weston Charts loves him some running back, and and Omari was was definitely the guy who had the body, the build, the the stamina, uh, the ability to stay healthy. Uh, I'm sure he probably spent some time in some whirlpools, uh, maybe on Saturday mornings. But but uh, everybody knew that uh, that Omari was going to get the ball, and and uh, you know in in a lot of games he carried it 30, 35, 40, even against Great Bend in the playoffs, 50 times. I mean that's just astounding uh, when you think about it to to do that, and then to come back the next week and um, you know. To, to carry maybe 80% of that the next time. It's it's just that that stamina, that stability, uh, it's some it's something Capen's going to miss for sure. I mean, he's he's, you know, kind of a uh, just one of a kind in that in that durability, uh, you know, that durability factor and and uh, really rose to the occasion and and I think uh, even against Bill Valley in the championship game, I think, you know, you saw those flashes. I, I think Amari's known for getting three, four yards, five yards, moving the chains and, and getting those those hard, tough yards to, to keep the sticks moving. But but uh, he, he did show some some ability once he got on that second level. You know, he he had some long touchdown runs in the in the state championship game and and uh, just always had that that kind of hidden ability to, to hit the home run. And I think that's what made him. Uh, you know, just an outstanding back. He certainly, when you talk about Bryce Brown and Brees Hall, uh, you know, those are guys who played in the NFL. Uh, it'll be, you know, it, Omari's story will still be, it's still out there to be written. And I think he's going to a real good program in the Air Force Academy. I think that's going to, they're, they're really going to benefit from, from his style, his, his ability. Um, just an outstanding back, outstanding student, uh, outstanding kid. And, and, uh, uh, really, uh, just a, a great representative for Capen, and and you know we're kind of getting this uh, 
as, as I as we're revealing this top eleven, a lot of second second generation really good players. You know, you had DBAC. You mentioned earlier uh, Dylan Dunn's dad, Mark, was a quarterback at Kansas State back in the early two thousands. Uh, uh, played, uh, you know, kind of competed with L. Roberson for the for the starting job back in the early two thousands. Then then Omari, his dad, Idris Elias, played for Coach Sharts for Weston Sharts when Sharts was at uh, Wichita West, was an outstanding player there, and, and went on to to Wyoming, and and uh, uh, then here his son is is going to be going off to Air Force Academy and, and playing in the Mountain West. So, uh, just a, it's been a real treat to watch Omari and an outstanding player, and and uh, certainly will be interested to follow his future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Air Force likes to run the ball, and uh, and, and so uh, Mari, that'll that's right up his alley. I mean, he goes from from a high school coach that loves to run to a college program that loves to run. So, uh, you know, you would think Air Force would like to pass and fly a little bit, but uh, no, we're we're a ground baby. So, uh, so Mari Ellis Elias, I'm sorry. Congratulations on your All State. Next, we have uh, another guy we've talked a lot of little bit about uh, Gus Hawkins from Mill Valley, uh, senior offensive left tackle uh, for the for the Jaguars, 6'8", 277. Started his career at Scott City and then moved to uh, the Kansas City metro area to, to Mill Valley. And uh, when I talked to Coach Appleby there, he said, you know, he came in, he wanted to be a tight end. That's That, that was his goal, to be a tight end. And and uh, they, they kind of started him there and then said, you know what, if you want to play in college football, we think uh, offensive tackle might be a better spot for you. And they moved him there, and, and uh, Mill Valley just just had great, great seasons running the ball behind him, uh, had school records for rushing yards and touchdowns this year. Uh, Gus is committed to Kansas State already, um, you know, two-time All-Sunflower League selection, and uh, just a just a tremendous uh, tremendous offensive lineman for Mill Valley uh, and really keyed their point of attack uh, this year. Uh, and giving them to their second straight Class 5A state championship game. So Gus Hawkins from Mill Valley, also on our top 11. Next we go Tanner Heckle from Linden. Uh, no surprise here. Uh, we talked about him being maybe the biggest impact transfer in the state this year, and and there was no question he was. He, he came in and, and took a good team to Linden and made him, made him great. Uh, and his, his stats were just crazy this year. Uh, 2,313 yards rushing, 50 rushing touchdowns, which uh, is is either number one or number two all time in state history in in eleven in eight man for rushing touchdowns in a single season. Uh, we've been trying to do some research on that. We believe somebody out there may have had 51, but can't get that confirmed. But regardless, 50 rushing touchdowns, 19 passing touchdowns, three defensive touchdowns. So I mean, he just had just. A crazy number of touchdowns this year. Uh, you know, when you look at it, seventy-two total touchdowns by one player in the season that he accounted for. Uh, you know, Tanner just uh, he played defensive back, had three pick sixes. You know, passed the ball, really ran the ball. Had had uh, two hundred fifty-four yards, four touchdowns in the state championship game. Uh, led Inman to back-to-back runner-up finishes in Class One A before transferring this year. Had a couple games this year where he had eight touchdowns in the game. Uh, oh yeah, he's a good basketball player and a state track champion, and uh, getting getting you know Division One looks in track. Uh, I think he's going to start getting a lot more interest in football after this season. But you know, one of the one of the states is truly great all around athletes. Tanner Heckle from Linden uh, leads them to a state championship this year, earning top eleven honors. Uh, next, you have 
uh, J.C. Heim from Washburn Rural, uh, senior linebacker, fullback for the Junior Blues. Uh, they fell one shape, one game shy of making the state title, but it wasn't for a lack of J.C. Heim's effort. I mean, this guy was just a warrior. Hardly ever came off the field. Uh, he had a whopping 173 tackles this year, which is just an absurd number. Uh, you know, Ty Weber was their great linebacker last year and set all their tackle records. And then uh, J.C. just blew him out of the water this year. And, you know, last year he kind of played that outside linebacker where he could really roam and make plays. And, and with Weber grab, graduating, they moved him inside this year. And it, it took a little bit of an adjustment period, but uh, it, it didn't take him long. He's just got that kind of instinct and, uh, and was just a, just a wrecking crew on their defense and then really emerged offensively late in the season too. Uh, played a little bit of running back and really uh, became more and more involved in their rushing game. Ended up rushing for 530 yards and 10 touchdowns uh, this year and really be, kind of became their bell cow a little bit late in the season. Uh, and, you know, so he's going 100 miles an hour on defense and then really c- contributing on offense and, and uh Blocked six PATs and punts in his career and, and just had a nose for the ball. Uh, uh, 40 tackles for loss, seven fumble recoveries. Uh, just just a guy that just wherever the ball was, J.C. Heim was usually there. And so uh, he's got some preferred walk-ons from KU and K-State already. Uh, most of the MIAA schools are really high on him, would love to have him. But uh, J.C. just had a great uh, a great season. He and his twin brother, Jaron, we're just a we're just a dynamic duo back there for Washburn Rural on their defense this year, and and Rural's defense was really one of the best ones in Class Six A this year. And so, J.C. Heim for Washburn Rural gets a spot there. Next, we go to Braden Coons of Conway Springs, a six foot, two hundred five pound senior running back and linebacker. And and Scott, when you talk about bruising running backs, you know Amari's a, a, a bell cow in terms of he's going to get the ball a lot. But when you want to talk about a workhorse. Uh, Braden Coons fills fills that uh, that role significantly. Yeah, just a, a steady, consistent performer for Conway Springs, and did it on both sides. I mean, obviously at the one A level, you've got a lot more two way uh, two way players than than what you know what Omari, uh, who would have been a great defensive player for Capen himself. But but Coons just out there, pretty much on the field for every play for Conway Springs, and just. I mean, it was every Friday night you would see Coons 250 yards, three touchdowns, 300 yards, three touchdowns, four touchdowns, whatever. I mean, just a study answered the answer the bell uh, every Friday night for for Conway Springs and and uh, uh, just has a just an outstanding season, uh, 20, 20 over 2,800 yards and, and ends up over 6,000 for his career. I think you shared a list with me of the, of the career rushing leaders. He settles in right behind another great Conway Springs runner, Darren Sywards, right ahead of him on the all-time list uh, for rushing yards and and probably a guy that, that will remind longtime Conway Springs fans of Sywards. I mean, just the, that steady, bruising, pounding runner and, and – uh, uh, you know, no surprise, I guess, that Coons ends his career with a state championship being the guy that, you know, I know Matt Beeler, he wanted to, to he kind of downplay during the course of the season whenever I would talk to him about Braden. You know, there was a lot of wealth to be shared, and that, that's very true. He wasn't a one-man show, but in a lot of ways, he he – he was definitely the, the spotlight was on Coons and and uh, defenses knew he was going to get the ball and and yet here he is uh, with just outstanding numbers at the end of his career and and very fittingly a state championship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that reminds me a little bit of Tanner Wood as well, who was another great back for Conway Springs and uh, and in fact, Beeler when I talked to him he said kind of was a mixture of both. He kind of had 
that that power that that Cyward has, uh, but Cyward would more run you over rather than uh, maybe try to make a move. Where Tanner would kind of had that power, but also kind of had that elusiveness. And then and then uh, and then Coons was kind of a, a mixture of both. And and oh by the way, he's a, a, a national caliber rodeo uh, calf roper. So uh, you know he he could lasso in those those running backs on defense or whatever. But uh, he was just a just a just a great athlete. And uh, so. Yeah, Braden Coons, uh, also very deserving. Congratulations to him on top 11. Our next selection is from St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, their defensive tackle, Kyan Payne, uh, 6'4", 260-pound defensive tackle, uh, helped St. Thomas Aquinas to the Class 4A state championship this year. And he was the co-defensive MVP of the Eastern Kansas League with Justice Betts of Bishop Miege and Mack. Uh, you know, talk about disruptive forces. Uh, Mark Debiak, Kyan Payne, uh, you know, he didn't play on the edge. He played in the middle, but uh, he was a guy that, that could really make things tough for opposing defenses from the middle spot and D-tackle. Yeah, and I think part of that is you look at him and you, you watch him move, and, I mean, he's just as athletic as any of the top defensive ends you'd see any of the – I mean, hell, he could probably play linebacker with uh, just the, his ability to move. And when you're able to do that at 6'4 and, and 260, uh, it's hard to get past him uh, if you're trying to run up the middle. Uh, it's hard for uh, a single lineman to, to, to keep him in check. You have to, uh, you know, double him up so often, and he just causes this log jam right Right there in the center and uh when you look at those stats you uh, reeled them off when you were talking about aquinas winning the the 4a state title uh that's how you have a defense that is able to to limit opponents that way and to uh be able to consistently stop the the run is you have a a guy like Payne who will be right there in the middle causing havoc every single play and uh without a doubt a, a big reason why aquinas is as successful as they were on defense throughout the season Absolutely. And, you know, Randy Dryling's coached some great defensive linemen throughout the years uh, from his time at Hutch and even up in, at St. Thomas Aquinas. And Kyan Payne definitely uh, falls right in there with some of the best that he's ever had. So congratulations to Kyan Payne. Next, we have Jackson Both of Cheney. And, Scott, we've touched on uh, a little bit of this guy. But, you know, when in tabulating all of my uh, all-state ballot stuff this year, this was my number one vote-getter out of everybody uh, in any classification. Jackson Both from Cheney, you know, uh, we kind of remember him more as a wide receiver coming up, uh, but he was a guy that just get the ball in his hands uh, and he's going to make something happen. And, and he showed that, it, whether he was rushing the ball, catching the ball. I mean, he was just a guy that was going to make plays and it was a, obviously a driving force behind Cheney's title this year. Yeah, and I, I had a chance to see him play in the in the semifinal game this year against Andale in the, in the 3A semifinals. And, and you know, Cheney's offense, as, as I said, is, is – you know, kind of geared toward passing and a lot of it just kind of centered around both and, and really a tough guy to cover. And just, I, he just hurt Andale all night with these little five, five yard in and out routes, zigzag routes, uh, very reliable. Uh, Josh Burdick would put the ball, you know, right in front of him and he, he would haul it in every time, had 19 catches that night in that win over Andale, which, uh, you know, according to the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame records, that ties a state record for single game, 19 catches in a game. He had a 20th that, that uh, Cheney accepted a, a penalty, and so uh, he ends up with 19 instead of 20, 20 catches. But very tough guy to cover, uh, very physical uh Give him a lot of credit on defense as a linebacker too. He made a real key key play in that first victory over Andale, 
uh, on a fourth down on fourth down play in overtime to 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 keep Andale from scoring in that overtime, and then ran it in from ten yards out on the next uh, next play because they would line him up at running back as well. And uh, just a, a great kid. And and you know, I've talked to some of his teammates who said, yeah, Jackson, the way he works, uh, you know, just a very hard worker. His work ethic is kind of what carried him here. And and I think you know, I, Kelvin Sampson, you know, the basketball coach in Houston, says you want your best player to be your hardest worker. And I think maybe Jackson both fits that mold for Cheney. A lot of great players out there, but uh, this was a kid that really took what they were doing, you know, to heart and, and, and just lived it, uh, I think game in and game out. And, uh, you know, he's committed to New Mexico state. I'm very anxious to see what he can do uh, playing for Jerry kill down there in, in uh, at, at New Mexico state. Cause uh, just a real solid kid. And, and uh, obviously very deserving of, of all the, all the votes that he received for top 11. Congratulations to Jackson both as well. And then we had one junior on this year's all state top 11 and, and he was a guy that we talked about last year as a potential top 11 pick. And it's Jaden Woods of, of Mill Valley. And, uh, you know, obviously he's one of the most high-profile recruits in the state right now, a 6'4", 235 uh, junior defensive end. It's helped Mill Valley to two straight uh, state championships. And uh, this guy is is one that just has a has a motor out there. You know, our top 11 looks good on our defensive end side. Put Dibiak on one side, Jaden Woods on another, and I feel bad for whatever quarterback is having to go up against those two guys. And uh, Scott, you and Mac both had a chance to see him play in, in person. And, and uh, you know, just tell us a little bit about how he stands out uh, when, when you see him on the field. Yeah, I'll start, Mac. I mean, just physical specimen. I think that that really, you know, my my evaluation of him is pretty short and sweet. Just physical specimen. You know, Gus Hawkins, that, that his teammate on the offensive line, is that guy too at six eight. I mean, just it, you can't miss him. And I think Jaden's kind of that way too. He's 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 got a college ready body. I mean, he'll get in the weight room and he'll he'll get bigger and, and stronger and faster. But but uh, already as a junior, that that presence is there and and he is a load i mean if you go at him he's he's gonna he's gonna burr up and and uh uh you know be tough to to get around and he can also chase you down from from the other side i think that's just kind of what stood out to me is just a real physical specimen and it'll be fun to follow him down the road here too yeah and uh you know you point back to gus hawkins that's how i want to lead into talking about Jaden woods is looking at at gus hawkins and uh you know brim mentioned it as uh coming into mill valley as a tight end uh last uh year uh he was all summer before his junior season and uh the real story there is he came in at you know he was six six uh six seven ish uh and he was 220 and he's he can block at tight end and they're like okay we want to move you uh to to lineman and 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 coach appleby told him you know not only that if you do that i promise you we will turn you into a division one lineman to me that's a crazy idea that this kid has never played line and it's not it wasn't like he just came in and he was all beefy he he could lift but i mean when you look at a six seven kid 220 and you're like a hundred percent and sure enough it doesn't even take one season for you to get to that point well how do you get there part of it is every day in practice you're going up against a guy like Jaden woods and even as a sophomore uh, he was doing damage. And then you start going down the list of other guys uh, where you have uh, Truman Griffith, uh, you have, uh, you know, Clifton, Heller, Coletti, all these guys that they have this year. You start going down that list. And the idea that Wood stands out, I think, is how you know 
he's that good because that's a really good list of linemen that they've had, uh, you know, uh, for Mill Valley over the last two years. But Jaden Woods, even as a sophomore, it was, okay, you have those guys, he's going to be in there and he's going to be causing havoc uh, every play for, for your team. And the other guys, when you add them in, that's why Mill Valley was as dominant as it was last year. And he's also why this year, even when uh, a bunch of those guys ended up uh, graduating with the crew they have and with Woods leading them, uh, they were still able to, by the end of the year, be a, a defense that wasn't quite as dominant as last year. But without a doubt, you could see those plays where they needed a stop. It was generally Jaden Woods who made the play for them to get that stop this year. So Mill Valley has two on our top 11 this year. And then there's another double representative when we have our coach of the year. Uh, this year it is from Cheney, Shelby Wehrman. Um, a pretty easy choice this year. When you, uh, when you do what Cheney did this year and you take down Andale, not just once but twice, you end their state record, winning streak or not state record winning state active winning streak and their championship streak, uh, and then get the job done and go 13 and zero. uh, that's a pretty easy choice for coach of the year. And sky, we talked already talked at length about Shelby a little bit, but you know, this season, uh, you know, go back to that destiny, but you know, Cheney, uh, they're a little bit more known for basketball and now, uh, now we can throw football into that mix. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, and I think he knew coming in. I, he probably had been told when you when you arrived there that hey, Cheney is a basketball school, but he's 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 built a really good culture there. And and just watching him on the sidelines, I mean, it's uh, you know you talk about we've talked about the adversity that that, that Cheney faced in, in in those games against Andell and, and Clay Center, and and you didn't see a coach that was ever rattled i mean that's he's just very steady and not not surprising i mean he played for tom young at that derby and, and bill snyder at kansas state uh I, I think some of that osmosis has probably gone through shelby now he might be a little more emotional uh his team certainly put him through the ringer a couple times this year to to you know as far as having to to figure out a way to 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 come back and, and win some some ball games this year but uh, uh very just a very engaging person, and I think uh, just a genuinely nice person. Cares about his kids a lot off the off the field. You could tell that, and and they have a good relationship with him. Uh, you know, very happy for him because uh, you know as we talked, Cheney had, had those good seasons. They you know they'd been nine and zero, they'd been ten and zero, and then finally to to break through and, and like you said to to beat Andell, to be the team, to 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 field the team that that is able to to snap Andell's reign in three A. That that's very worthy of, of this award for 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 Shelby. Yeah, so congratulations to Shelby and Cheney and to all of our top 11 All-State picks. We'll run down them again real quick. Uh, your top 11 for Keisha Covered this year, Holden Bass of Nemaha Central, Mark Dibiak of Gardner-Edgerton, Dylan Dunn of Blue Valley Southwest, Omari Elias, Cape and Mount Carmel, Gus Hawkins, Mill Valley, Tanner Heckel, Linden, J.C. Heim, Washburn Rural, Braden Coons, Conway Springs, Kyan Payne, St. Thomas Aquinas, Jackson Voth, Cheney, Jaden Woods, Mill Valley, and Coach of the Year, Shelby Wehrman of Cheney. All of our Acacia Covered Top 11 profiles will be out Thursday on our Acacia Covered website, along with our list of our Top 33, the Acacia All-State Top 33. We will follow on Friday with features, a Coach of the Year feature, 
on Shelby Wehrman, and then a couple uh, features on a couple of the players that made the top 11 this year. But we will have bios on each of those top 11 selections and the coach of the year coming out Thursday, Friday with some features. And then on Saturday, the Keisha Covered all-class teams will be released for each classification, uh, 6A all the way down through 6-man. So tune in to Keisha Covered website for all of that good all-state football stuff. Uh, It's a lot of work. Uh, Thank you to every coach in the state who submitted a ballot. Without you, this this work can't be done. Uh, I got uh, so many back. I wish I got 100%. That's never going to be the case, but um, it's it's your efforts in nominating players from your teams, nominating players from other teams that help uh, help give us a consensus on uh, on our top eleven, top thirty three, and all class teams, and and uh, we we put in a lot of work on this. It's it's not something we take lightly. Um, it's it's a it's a painstaking effort, but one that uh, we find reward in doing, and hopefully the players enjoy the honors. Uh, it's tough. I mean, there's some. There's some positions in some classes that are just flat out loaded with player after player after player, but tough decisions have to be made on those. It's a limited spot. That's why it's a good honor. I mean, if you you you, you could honor everybody as a first team All State uh, selection, and and uh, and it, it doesn't mean as much as if you uh, if you're one of the three wide receivers in Class Five A or one of the four linebackers in Class Four A that that gets a gets a selection. I mean, you know, you've beaten out some good good players to get that honor. So congratulations to everybody that will be awarded this year, whether you're a first team selection or honorable mention selection, but look forward to our all state and all class content coming out this week. And when we come back to you with our next podcast, we'll be, uh, we'll be deep into uh, the start of our winter season, which have already began. We've already had some great, uh, great wrestling action, great swimming action and great basketball contests uh, throughout the state. And we'll catch up on all the, all that winter action with our next podcast. So until then, for Ricky Peterson, Scott Pask, and Mac Moore, this is Brent Maycock signing off another Keisha Covered podcast brought to you by Cat Fed True Blue.